Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Premier League Review Show. It's a show that thinks Eric Ten Hag's roll neck pullover was the worst thing about Manchester United at the weekend. On today's pod we're revisiting a remarkable scoreline at Anfield and a professional, if a little sloppy at times, performance by the Blues that keeps them in the title race. We'll also be doffing our caps to Southampton, uh, Brighton, not Southampton, a club that many of us could learn from. To discuss all this and more, I'm joined as ever by my top flight cohort, Tom Young. Tom, you there, mate? I am here, and I am I'm very well safe in the knowledge of one of the games that, we, uh, that we'll be reviewing in the not-too-distant future. So, yeah, very, very much looking forward to this one. I was tempted to put it top of the bill, I really was. But, <laughs> um, yeah, we've done a few pods on City and Newcastle, obviously, in the, in the last few days. Um but it's, it's a fascinating game all the same and fasc- fascinating elements to it. Um, first and foremost, something that really intrigues me is for Haaland, Foden and Grealish front three. How do you feel about those as a trio? Of Are, are they your preferred front three? And if so, what, why? It's a funny one because it was only maybe a couple of weeks ago that we, we kind of discussed this on the pod and I said... With City, what we've now got is the two options of either the direct wingers in Alvarez and Foden or the kind of the more sort of tricky wingers in uh, in Grealish and, and Mares. And for the most part this season, we've seen Pep go with with one or the other. So he's kind of gone all out. You two get to the byline and, and find it into the box or the more reserved approach with Grealish and, and Mares. And I was, I was, I don't think we've seen enough of Grealish and Foden playing together. Yeah, and I think what we saw on on Saturday is that Grealish kind of you don't see as much of Grealish when Foden's on the pitch because I feel that naturally more does just go through Foden's channels and the way in which Foden plays when he gets on the ball, he's picking it up and running at men, and it becomes naturally a more direct attack, whereas when you've got Mares and Grealish playing and cutting inside, you see the ball switch from side to side a little bit more than you do um, with with Foden and Grealish. But I thought they complemented each other really well and I thought quietly, whilst Foden was, was given man of the match at the ground and I don't think many could argue with it, I think Grealish quietly had a very good game again. Mm, um, he seemed when he, when he when he did get on the ball, he he was involved. Um, and like I say, maybe not as much of the ball as he has when he plays with Mares. But I think it works, and I think the Foden coming into form is exactly what City need at this stage of the season for both the Premier League and the Champions League. Um, I don't think there's anyone that's going to argue that that City aren't a better team when Foden's playing like he is at the moment. And I feel like at some point in the not-too-distant future, we're going to see a big, big City win. I feel like there's one brewing. I feel like we're going to really take a team to the cleaners. So, yeah, Grealish and Foden together... I don't think we've seen enough of it, but from what I saw on Saturday, I think we'll see plenty more of it as the season sort of comes towards this business end now. Yeah, and I get very much get the impression that if Haaland could pick two, it would be Foden and Grealish. I think he really benefits from both of them on the pitch. Mares, I mean, you know, obviously he, he provides a great deal, Mares, but he is always basically cutting inside and then going back the other way, isn't he? And then playing it square and and. I think if any player exasperates Haaland, it's it, it Mahrez. Um, yeah, and I think Foden and Grealish are there to service Haaland and Haaland in, in return is just more involved when it's those two, either side of him. And, and furthermore as well, I think in terms of characteristics and their personality, they, they all get on those three. They're kind of, you know, they're the lads basically. And um, 
and that matters too in terms of kind of you know them playing together and enjoying playing together and thriving together um it's without a shadow of a doubt it's my preferred front three um when i saw they were starting i was absolutely delighted and i'll go further as well tom when i saw it those three i was I was confident about winning before the game, but when I saw it was 0-3, I knew we were going to win. I thought, yeah, today's going to be our day. Uh, I've got full confidence in them. Um, your thoughts on Foden's goal um, and beyond that goal as well as recent upturning form? Yeah, I thought, well, his goal's fantastic. A bit fortuitous with the finish, of course. It takes a, takes a hefty deflection, but they say you make your own look and I very much believe Foden made his own look with that goal uh, just in in the way in which and you've seen the confidence brewing out of him at the moment and I think he mentioned it himself in his in his one of his interviews after the game about how he can play on the left or the right but he prefers the right and I very much prefer Foden on the right because yeah. it just see his natural side he can get he can cut inside he can get at his man and yeah his goal's fantastic I mean he's he's taken on what three or four men with ease and and like I say, the 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 finish is, is a bit is a bit far. He's a bit fortunate with the way in which it, it takes a deflection, but yeah, he's made his own look there by having the having the know how, having the confidence to to get at Burn. Who I think I said the minute I saw sort of the teams come out, I, th- I thought, you know what, as, as much as Burns an experienced defender and and he's done well, he did well at Brighton, he's done well at Newcastle. Foden's really got to be having this guy on toast today, and for the most part, he did. And that's no sort of bad word against Burn, but you just look at the two of them. It's Foden's speed. The fact Burn is not naturally a fullback, but he plays yeah. in that role. And and yeah, he, he, it was one of again uh, another one of his better performances this season. Foden, he took his goal really well. And and yeah, when he's got this confidence, you see it. He is very much a, a farm player, Foden. When he's on it, he's on it. And obviously, when he has these dips, which are few and far between, but he has had on occasion this season. He doesn't look like he could buy a goal, but at the minute, it looks like every time he picks up the ball, he's going to create something. And and I'm glad to see him continue this sort of hot farm in front of goal because it was only last week we talked about how good he is when he's when he's in front of goal, how how good his shot conversion rate is, and he's going to show that again with a with a very important goal at the stage of the game as well. So hmm. yeah, fantastic goal, and and again another all round fantastic performance by Foden. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely flying right now, and it's it's I think. Amongst all the other feelings, there's a lot of relief there from City fans because I, I, I do think we were we were rightfully getting concerned at this juncture. It was going on, wasn't it? You know, a, a couple of weeks out of the spotlight, fair enough. Uh, a month maybe tops, but it was dragging on where you think, what's happening here? You know, and I heard these silly rumours that, you know, he could be kind of sold next summer and that was never going to happen in a million years. But the fact that it reached that point where those rumours surfaced, I was starting to get a bit worried, and then suddenly it's like just Foden Mark Two. It's brilliant to see, um, and long may it continue. Well, what did you make of Newcastle um, from that performance? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Do you think? I didn't think Newcastle were bad. Um, I thought the they gave as good as they got, particularly in that second half for that sort of twenty minute period before City got the second. Um, Newcastle had maybe a, a ten minute spell where where they threatened, and I thought, you know what, we are going to need to score a second to kill this game off because if we don't, I think Newcastle are, are capable of of nicking a point here, and we've seen on so many occasions this season that we've we've gone ahead and fallen to 
a late goal, a late equaliser here, a late, a late, um, a late goal there. So, but yeah, I thought Newcastle were okay. I thought they sort of controlled the game well. I think, despite the fact they've got so many forwards and and they changed the front three entirely, sort of late in that second half. But I just think, and they've got a sixty million pound striker on the bench. They just really do seem to be lacking goals at the moment. They're comfortable with the ball at their feet. I think the midfield's very good. Um, Bruno's a fantastic player and and one who I think wouldn't be misplaced at sort of a, a City or an Arsenal. I could very much see um, that Bruno Guimaraes playing mm. at, at one of the top, top teams in the Premier League. But yeah, I just think they, they lack that cutting edge in the final third. Um, I've said it time and time again with St. Maximan. Great player, tricky player with the ball at his feet. Absolutely zero end product. Um, they had a number of players overperforming. Almiron was absolutely pants at the weekend, and that's the kind of Almiron that Jack Grealish made the comments <laughs> made the comments about. And and yeah, he was overperforming, and that Newcastle as a whole were overperforming. But yeah, they they just like that cutting edge in the final third. I think they still they still a team that are, that teams will struggle to break down, struggle to beat. Uh, but again, I think they're a team that when they go behind, they're a team that. I think you've you can take the game away from quite easily, and I think with the exception of that ten fifteen minute spell um, just before Bernardo's goal, I think City managed the game really well, and I, I don't think it was it was that close. I don't think it's as close as some people maybe suggested it was. I think City were always in control of that game, and and um, and yeah, I think Newcastle just need. I'm not sure what it is that they need in that final third, but they just seem to be missing a little bit of something to to take them to that next level. Yeah, Callum Wilson is clearly not 100% right. Um, I said on the other pod, um, in the review pod, that Newcastle fans are convinced it's it's a post-COVID thing. You know, he had uh, COVID just prior to the World Cup and they're convinced that he hasn't you know, been the same player since. Um, I think, ironically, their biggest strength lies in Bruno Gamares, but he's also their biggest weakness right now because they're so reliant on him. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly struggling with that, with that ankle of his. So he can't perform to the best of his abilities. And you look beyond him and who else have they got in that central area for any kind of creativity? They got rid of Shelby in January, you know, by all accounts that they had someone lined up and it didn't come off. So that's left him very short in terms of numbers there. Um, And obviously Bruno Camaras is a wonderful footballer, but if he's only kind of, you know, 80% fit, you're only going to get 80% performance out of him. And I think that's what we saw at the weekend. And that's what we're seeing repeatedly in recent weeks. Um, he's not the player that he was, you know, when he first arrived and for a matter of months. Um, he's struggling. And what he needs is some time, you know, kind of taken out of the firing line. But they don't have anyone else, so they're going to have to struggle along with him. Um, and so he's actually their weakness, I would say, right now, despite him being their biggest strength. Um, who... Or what impressed you most about City's performance? I think um, obviously we've we've talked about Foden how good uh, how good Foden was. I was again as I have been on virtually every t- every time I see him play this season. Uh, Nathan Ake is just a fantastic yeah, footballer. Yeah. He's so intelligent. He again, obviously we, we've talked about how he how he lacks sort of the attacking prowess maybe that Jao Cancelo had. But just defensively, he's unbelievable. And he had that block um, in the first half, which was fantastic. And he just, you, I feel so much more confident with Nathan Ake in the team than I do when he's not. Equally, 
I feel so much more confident when Ruben Diaz is back in that defence as well. I just think he's he's got that mentality. He's got that that dog in him that that maybe not all of our players do. That sort of just real hunger and desire to win games of football. And again, I thought I thought he had a fantastic game at the weekend. Um, and yeah, I, I was I was mightily disappointed in Kevin De Bruyne's performance, which I think maybe maybe the worst I think I've ever seen him play at Manchester City. Wow! Um, he, he just nothing stuck for him, and you yeah. you're watching him, and and I, I said on Twitter at half time, I said he's just too good a player to take off the pitch because we know how he can instantly turn the game on its head with a single pass, and he's still got that in his locker. Um, and I think I, I kind of mentioned it in, in the in the group chat with the ninety three twenty lads on on Tuesday night or Wednesday night when we played Bristol that he'd looked off it, he'd looked sluggish, and then next thing you know he's he has, he plays the ball through for Ake for the second, and then scores the third, and you kind of got that same feeling on Saturday that eventually he's got to get going, but he just he just didn't, um, and then Bernardo comes on, and it's his intensity that pretty much single handedly gifts us that second goal by just running and chasing down lost causes, forcing the mistake and then and then finishing off the, the chance that falls um as a result of it. So yeah, I was I was very impressed with Foden obviously, but um honourable mentions to, to Ake Diaz and Bernardo Silva from me. Yeah, well said man. Um right, the, the time is now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't even put any kind of questions in the agenda. I've I've basically just put our overall thoughts on this ridiculous scoreline. First of all, um, did you watch the game? Because I didn't. What what happened with me was, I saw it. I saw about twenty minutes of it in the first half. Then it was one nil to Liverpool. Didn't really know how I felt about that. To be honest, I mean, you know, I, I wanted Liverpool to win rather than United, but it was one of those games where you know I wanted both to lose. Um, yeah. And then I left it, left the game. And then I followed the rest on WhatsApp with, with you guys. And <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And um, so, did you watch watch it? Yeah, I, I I actually I got in. I was I was driving back from my girlfriend's house, and I got in at about about thirty five minutes. So it was still nil nil when I turned the game on. I'd listened to it on the radio on the on the motorway on the way back, and I was I'd heard that Liverpool sounded like they were on top, but United had a couple of chances, kind of as I think many people had expected would be the case. Yeah, yeah. Given that it was at Anfield, you'd expect Liverpool to sort of dictate the tempo of the game, but we know how good United have been on the counter attack, sort of the form United are in. Um, but yeah, and then you go into half time one at one nil, and you're thinking this is a game here. Ten Hag will, will sort of get into half time. They'll come out strong. Maybe if United can score first, still a chance of winning the game and. Yeah, I don't think anybody, there's not there's nobody in their right mind would have thought what was to come in that second half. But I think I was the same as you. I was like, I hope both both lose. If not, I was like, a draw would be good because they both drop points. And but then once it once it sort of got to three four nil, I was like, you know what, keep pounding yeah, at them. Yeah, yeah, Let's just yeah. humiliate them at this point. And I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was like like you, you've just you've referred to it as a ridiculous scoreline and and that sums it up it is just utterly bonkers to consider that Manchester United could lose a game 7-0 and, and this Manchester I, United you know, yeah they, well, they this are is it. really good recently this is it and we've we've kind of through gritted teeth sort of yes. up on the sh- on the show in the last few weeks and said look they're, they're a serious team at the minute United um and yeah just you you couldn't you couldn't write that that game, and the the fact that 
there was no sending offs. There was no. It wasn't ten men united for ninety minutes. This was eleven versus eleven for ninety minutes, and Liverpool put seven goals past them. And to be honest, could have had eight or nine in the last stages of the game. Jota had a couple of chances where, if his first touch had been a little bit better, they could have. It could have. It genuinely could have hit double figures, and it wouldn't have been sort of crazy to consider that Liverpool could have scored ten on Sunday because they there was just that bigger gulf between the two sides. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our contents, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.